Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is Mr. Ajit Nawalka. And Ajit has actually been a guest on the podcast before, but I wanted to have him back on to take a deeper dive into mindset, purpose, and uh, having better connection in a workplace environment. So we're going to talk about things like mental health in the workplace, uh, whether it's on your team, with your colleagues, uh, and how to actually deal with some of those, some of those pieces. Uh, because like most people, like most entrepreneurs, uh, Ajit was out to make a difference in life. And he came from very humble beginnings. Uh, he came from a middle-income in, in, uh, family in Jaipur, Uh, And as a typical Indian family, he grew up with an uh, an extended family of 23 people under one roof. I had like seven, and that seemed like a lot. Uh, So they didn't have a lot of space and didn't have a lot of money. But over the course of the years, he was fortunate enough to grow in business and in entrepreneurship. uh, And that led him to being the CEO of a company called Mindvalley. Uh, which is based out of Malaysia. It's an incredible, incredible organization that some of you may have heard of, but it's one of the uh, top publishing agencies, pu- publishing companies uh, in the self-help and personal development industry. They also have a ton of programs and courses and uh, coaches, and they, they really do some incredible things. They also have something called Awesomeness Fest, which some of you may have attended. So uh, Ajit has an, a really cool kind of insight. He talks about his personal journey uh, to to building that, and a big shout out to him. He just had a uh, a baby uh, three months ago, so he is a, a new dad, uh, which has sparked some of the shift for him. So we're going to dive into a few different topics. Uh, before I bring him in, just a quick reminder for all the guys to head on over and check out the Man Talks community, uh, and and definitely head on over and check out the Man Talks Alliance. Uh, which is going to be kicking off here next week. We've got an incredible group of men from around the world that are going to be uh, diving in, holding one another accountable to improving their mindset, finding a deeper sense of purpose, getting into action, uh, and and just growing together as men. So it's a really, really great group. And ladies, um, definitely send your guys to check that out. Thank you so much for, for doing that. And just a quick reminder to share this podcast. If you enjoy this, we talk about a few great things uh, along the way. And Ajit um, shares a, a few resources to be able to connect with colleagues and, and talk about mental health issues, to be able to connect with team members or your boss and be able to have these types of conversations. So uh, definitely man it forward and share this episode. Uh, and don't forget to tag me because I would love to give you a shout out on whatever platform you're on. So without any further delay, Please welcome Mr. Ajit Nawalka. I am excited to be here, man. Thank you for inviting me. Likewise, likewise. I, we had such a great conversation last time that, you know, there's not many guests that I have back on the show, but, uh, you know, I really enjoyed our conversation last time. I wanted to go a little bit deeper on some of the topics uh, today. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, but why don't we just start things off like we did last time? Uh, so tell me a bit of a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. So as, as you already know, Connor, there's so many things that happen in our life and they kind of define us in many different ways. What I wanted to touch upon today is something that I think is a, is a rising challenge and seems like something that not only happened in my life, but happens in our lives very often. And so I feel it would be a good, relevant conversation to have right now. You see, I, I was born in India. I was born in a household of 23 different people at the same time. And that created a desire in my high in my heart to be able to always be abundant, to be able to find my own house and buy my own house, live in my own house, live in in comfort, live live in all of those things, which made me chase things, which all of us do, right? We we tend to chase ideas that the world says are great ideas that we must chase, right? We set goals and we set expectations on ourselves. And often these expectations are also driven by outside in, which means people tell us what we should do and shouldn't do. And what we should make as money and what we shouldn't make as money and how we should live our life and how we shouldn't live our lives, which created, which, which kind of drove me for a big part of my life where I, I started to chase. I started to chase a lot of things 
in life, especially abundance, and got me to get a great career at at a time where I was uh, I was leading this wonderful company called Mind Valley. I was I was the CEO of Mind Valley Media, where we were transforming lives on a daily basis. We built out Mind Valley as as an intern, and after almost seven eight years, I was the CEO of the company. And as I became the CEO of the company, you know, sometimes when you're chasing something, you're chasing it so hard, you get there one day and you realize that there's something still missing and you don't know why it is, right? You, you kind of go, okay, it feels, it should feel good right now, but I don't know why something feels off. And that was my case. I, I reached this insane goal that I had set out for myself at a really young age to not only be abundant, but be able to find, uh, to be able to lead this wonderful organization, which is very purpose-driven, very profound in many ways. And as I was leading the organization, I realized that I was chasing something that I wasn't necessarily excited about. I was chasing something that wasn't in truest of alignment for me. And one would wonder, why would that happen, right? I had the car, I had the house, I had the job, I had the recognition, I had the appreciation, I was doing good work, it was positive and powerful for the society. Why would that be a problem? Why would that be a a situation? You see, what happens with us, and this happened for me and it changed my life after that, was that I had set out to be the CEO of this company. I had set out to be abundant. But I had forgotten in the process that I was doing that because a lot of expectations were were laid on me from my family, from other people around my life to be able to live life in a certain way. And and it and it would seem right because it would seem, all right, so you want to live this life and you want to be abundant, so you should do do X, Y, and Z. But you see, as I evaluated my life while I was there, I realized that I had built a living for myself. I was making a good living, but I wasn't living a life. I was, I had created abundance around me. I had created purposeful work around me, but I hadn't created a perfect purposeful life. I wasn't connected with my family. My health was deteriorating on a daily basis. I didn't really have strong relationship with my friends. I didn't have a strong relationship with myself. I was a reactive person who was living life to make other people happy. And that was happening because I had lost alignment of saying there's life and there's many components to life. It's not dependent on just your career. So I was living for my career and my career was going great, but I wasn't living a complete life. As I lived through that experience, I realized that I I needed to find and create something that I didn't understand at that time, honestly. I didn't know how it would look like. But what I knew was that if I was to really live in alignment with myself, if I was to really live my purpose, if I was to really live big, I need to find who am I and how am I going to show up and who am I going to become and be in every moment for me to be able to really live a life that I would truly cherish and not just make a great living, but make a great life for myself. And that that would change direction and got got me to really reevaluate my entire life uh, and reconsider everything that I had done and recreate a lot of it. Mm. Yeah. You know, I think that your, your story is so relatable for so many people, you know, my, myself included, I've gone through that transition before where I was having success in something and I, you know, had sort of reached this, this place that I wasn't too sure that I would reach and still wasn't necessarily fulfilled or, uh, you know, the, the way that you think you're going to feel when you show up to a certain destination sometimes isn't a way that you feel. So I want to dig into that because I've noticed that, you know, a lot of men and a lot of women in our culture today have these incredibly extraordinarily busy lives. And you kind of touched on a few things that I think we're probably going to unpack in this interview, things like purpose and, you know, leveraging your passions and, you know, things like mindset and mental health for entrepreneurs, which is a very big, you know, topic that I think we should definitely get into. But one of the things that, that, I, that immediately stood out for me is why does that happen? You know, like, well, how come so many people chase down these big goals, these big dreams, um, or, you know, start building companies or careers and they, they start to get into that space and, and maybe realize it's not what they thought it was going to be. Like, what sort of causes this distortion uh, in, our, in our lives that causes us to go down that path? So, so from based on my research, there are many factors to that. And it changes based on the personality of the person a little bit. 
And let me let me dive a little bit deeper on that. So most commonly, what we found is entrepreneurs tend to create this chase in their lives because they attach the meaning of their life to their business and because of the external expectations that the world has for them. Let's take, for example, you run a wonderful podcast. If you are an entrepreneur that is constantly living from the outside in, which means you're looking at the outside world to find what is true for a successful podcast, what is true for a successful business, what will tend to happen is you'll create a competitive vision of your business. What does that mean? That means you will look at other podcasts and go, hey, that podcast has more listeners. That podcast had that guest. That podcast is doing that. I must do all of those, right? That's an outside. And I'm not saying that's true for you. I'm just giving this as an example. Is, is what happens if we start to look at outside and we go, oh, okay, so I must do all these other things to be a successful podcast. The challenge and the problem with that is everybody's doing the same thing. And this is a road to dissatisfaction. I call it a chasing entrepreneur. A chasing entrepreneur is somebody who's always on a chase and is never satisfied with what they do. Now, what it, it is okay to be unsatisfied with what you do, but not in context of other people. If you're insatisfied with what you're doing, in context of your vision of your own future, and it's not influenced by external realities, it is okay to have that dissatisfaction because it becomes a drive versus frustration and anxiety and fear of fail and and uh, and a and a reality where we feel that we are a failure, right? Which happens when we start to do comparative goal setting and comparative vision building for our companies and our entrepreneurial ventures. So, firstly, what happens very commonly is that entrepreneurs live outside in, where we look at the outside world to define if we are successful or not, if we are moving forward or not, if we are worthy or not. So that's the most common reason why this happens, why we tend to overwork and tend to create a life where we are always on a chase. And chase not in a positive way, but a frustrating, uh, but a frustrating negative way. Now, that's the most common one. But there are other factors that tend to play in, which leads to anxiety and that leads to a consideration of different things for an entrepreneur. For example, in today's world, how we actually understand entrepreneurship is untrue to what real entrepreneurship may look like. Here is what I mean. So if you look at it today on the stories, and this is mostly as much as social media has done great things for the world, it has caused us to live in this alternate reality where we live in half-truths or we live and believe in half-truths. So for example, if you go to social media, you follow the entrepreneurs, what's the common dialogue we hear? The only way you can build a business is to work hard, mm -hmm. right? Work long hours. If you're not doing 20-hour days, you're not going to build a successful company. Is that really true? Is that really true that if you don't work that hard, you won't be able to create a successful company or a successful life in context of your reality. Now, it's not true, first of all, because if you really look at entrepreneurs that have become successful, they are of all varieties. There are entrepreneurs who love working 20-hour days and there are entrepreneurs that love working two-hour days and both of them are equally or sometimes more successful. If you look at entrepreneurs which you may, which will not come on social media and spend 10 hours telling you how to coach, uh, sorry, how to teach and how to build a company, they are the ones who are not working that hard. That's why they're not on social media. They don't have the time for, for to go in and actually invest time in training other people on a daily, minute-by-minute -minute basis. They're writing a book and then they're dis disappearing. They're doing their talks and then they're disappearing. They're spending time with their family. They're investing time in their own growth. They're getting different experiences. So the entrepreneurs that we tend to follow because they are the noisiest ones are the hardworking ones. And there is nothing wrong with working hard, but you got to know if that's the truth about you, that is true to you, or you're doing it because that's what somebody says, right? So that's the, that's the second dialogue that has created an intense amount of pressure for somebody who becomes an entrepreneur and goes, oh, the only reason or the only way to become successful is for me to slog my ass, right? And that's just not true. Most accomplished entrepreneurs who become outrageously successful in creating great companies and great brands are actually highly optimized people. They don't work longer hours. They actually build great teams. And ask any successful entrepreneur who is at a, at a level, they would say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm smart, but I also have a great team is why my business works, is why I can grow a company. It's not about I can put 20 hours a day. It's about I can build a solid team. I can build a great product. 
I can build a great process or one of these or all of these, right? And that's why the companies become successful. But because it's the it's it's a better story to tell. It's like, oh, I worked at till two o'clock in the night and then woke up at six a.m. and then I started working again. Well, that's a better story to tell instead of somebody saying, Yeah, I finished work at two o'clock and went home and just spent my time with my kid. Right. Right. That's not a good story to tell. Nobody's excited about that story. And so nobody tells that story. And that's unfortunate. Because we have started to believe as a society that there's only one way to build your company, and that's work is to just work your ass off every single moment of your day. But here is what has happened because of that. We have increasingly made entrepreneurship the hardest thing to do or something for which you have to create tremendous amount of sacrifice. And which is where I, I, I personally believe that's a great disservice to individuals who have come out in the world saying, hey, I'm going to take the step for the world. I'm going to create something that's magnificent. So they, as an entrepreneur, are already sacrificing because they're putting themselves on the line. They put themselves on the line in context of the world because you get to take jabs at me on every comment I make because I am the company, right? And I'm creating a product. So you get to take as many stabs at me. And now you don't even want to give me peace of mind. That's just unfair. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's interesting. Like you touched on so many good points. We We have really sort of glamorize this idea of, you know, hustle hard, work yourself into the ground. You know, if you're not working the hundred hour a week, somebody else out there is working harder than you and they're going to take it from you. And it, it is, it's interesting because it's almost like a little bit of a scarcity mentality. The, and the other thing that you touched on that really stood out to me that that's interesting is this, you know, the idea what you're talking about with the, with the outside in of building your business based on the outside and what people are already doing and, and the, you know, creating these big experiences and et cetera. And and then working that backwards into the internal space. And I think that that is, if I could pinpoint one of the catalysts of one of the biggest challenges that a lot of entrepreneurs face, I think that might be it. You know, I uh, for probably the second or third time, I, I am rereading uh, Carl Jung's book called Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. And it was supposed to be his autobiography. Um, and Carl Jung, for those that are listening and maybe don't know him, was like one of the greatest um, psychologist of all time. He actually talks about the challenges in, in, in refusing to sort of write this autobiography because he didn't really remember or want to glamorize the events of his life. What he actually wanted to do was talk about the internal representation of his of his life uh, internally and, and what it was like to go through some of those things and his internal dialogue and internal perspective and how he found joy and happiness and you know where archetypes came from and all that other kind of stuff. So I think it's interesting what you're talking about because what you're really saying is build your business from the inside out rather than trying to build the business from the outside in. So so maybe can you give some context and perspective because you know you've worked with some amazing people in in a you know just a bunch of different industries and I would love to sort of hear like for the listeners that are out there that are trying to build that profession around a lifestyle, trying to build a business around what they want their every day to look like, what they want their family to look like. Where do people actually start in this creation process? So firstly, just because you gave context of that, I've worked with so many different people, which is very true. And what I've also found is that happens usually in a later stage of people's careers, where they've burned their families or where they've burned their relationships. And later on in their careers, they realize that it's just not worth yeah. it. It's just not worth building a business that pays the bills, but doesn't have your family in tune with you, or you're not aligned with them and you're not having fun doing what you do. You're just stressed and anxious and, and, and unhealthy, honestly, eventually. And once you lose your health is either those realizations came because they lost their health, either those realizations came because they lost a relationship, either their realizations came because they realized they're just so alone and lonely. And the, the famous line of saying it's lonely at the top, well, it's because we are not thinking about it is why we get lonely at the top because we just bury everything along the way. It's not lonely at the top. We make it lonely at the mm. top. We can keep it very together. We can have a ton of friends. I have a ton of friends. I know entrepreneurs have a ton of friends. We're more friends. Like we almost is like, oh, we gotta like we got to find time to work because we just can play all day long. And that's so beautiful to have as as a business like that. So- I want to invite today on our conversation, Connor, that we don't have to listen to the dialogue of an entrepreneur that says you have to just work your ass off. Like you want to work. Yes. I'm not saying 
that success will just magically happen while you're not doing anything. That's, that's nowhere close to truth, but you also don't have to work yourself to the ground. You have to find that balance to be able to create real joy in your life because when that will happen, your business will be even more interesting, more fun to build, and you'll find more satisfaction doing what you're doing. Now, let's take one step further and say, okay, how do you really do that? How do you really find that space? And how do you go into that creation mode that is not aligned with whatever the dialogue outside, but dialogue inside, right? So it's, it is a lot about tapping into what your real values are. What is it that you really stand for? What is it that you really stand against? And what is it that you want to create as a transformation in the world, if there is anything? So here's one more popular dialogue that people say, all right, uh, which is, you got to do something for the world. And that's okay. And that sounds right for, for most of the times. But sometimes we don't know what we want to do for the world. And that's okay. And I want to give that permission to everybody that's listening right now. If you don't know what you want to change in the world, it's fine for you to not know that. It's fine if you don't have a big mission, if you don't have a big purpose right now. And I say this because this is one more thing that I see in entrepreneurs is they tend to associate themselves to a failure or somebody who's not doing big things when they don't find that big purpose. And sometimes finding your purpose takes time. It takes experience. It takes you going out in the world, experiencing different things and trying different things and creating different products and failing at them and being successful at them. All of that teaches you something and you eventually stumble into your purpose, into what you're going to create for the world. You find your North Star. But until then, it's okay to not, not have your purpose. It's okay to not know where you're going, but you're going in a fun, joyous way, enjoying every moment, living your life fully and contributing positively to whatever you can contribute positively, positively to. Now, what do you do as an entrepreneur if you are... At this stage, you're like, all right, so I'm I'm starting a company I'm, or I want to start a company. This seems to be something that's exciting for me or, or I would love to try at least. What do you do? How do you find what to create? Well, the first question to ask yourself is what's your what's been your drive all this while? What's been something that you've been excited about all this while? And usually we can find it in our childhood. If you can't find it in your childhood, that's okay. You'll find it in your adulthood. Uh, things that you're passionate about are not things that you're passionate about temporarily, but things about your things you have been passionate about for a long time. For example, if you are passionate about just talking to people, like you just love throwing parties or you love bringing people together, that's a thing you're passionate about. If you have loved that since you've been for the past five years or the past 15 years or something, that might be something to look at as a skill to bring to the business that you may think about. Versus something that you might get temporarily excited about, like you go to Italy and you learn how to make pasta and you go, well, I would love to open a restaurant. That's not a, that's not necessarily your passion. That's something that is your excitement right now. And you got to kind of depth for that excitement and not be biased towards just because you got a good idea around while traveling without understanding what's your real passion around it, right? So firstly, you want to find your passion. What is it that is exciting for you for a really long period of time? Because that probably is going to be something that will fuel the grand idea of your business, right? Now, once you've found your passion, and again, if you've found your purpose, great, because that will also give you the product that would help society and help the world and help your potential clients. And so you can go and align with that purpose. But I'm just going to work with the assumption that you don't know your purpose yet. And you will know it in time, but right now you're just unaware of it. It hasn't come to you. It hasn't been clear to you. So let's start with the thing that we are passionate about and we have found that over a period of time we have been passionate about it. And now let's bridge it with something that's a product that can take your passion integrated with the skills that you might have gotten from life generally. Like for example, if you are somebody who has uh, who loves people and you love throwing events and parties and so forth. And let's say skill set wise, you've also done an engineering degree. Now I'm giving hypothetical examples here, or you are, you have studied MBA and you are a marketing person, or you haven't studied anything, but you are out there in the world marketing for the past five years or 10 years. Maybe what you want to do is you want to see how I can bridge the experience of events, which is what I like and mix it with marketing and maybe create a, create a marketing conference or bring a marketing mastermind. Or let's say if you were more skilled towards engineering and love people, maybe you want to build an app that brings communities together, right? And that's how you really find what your product is going to look like or your product has a potential off. And then you find your markets that you know more and more about, right? So for example, if we were doing events as your passion, you love bringing people together. Let's say you have a technical knowledge and know-how and let's say you love dogs. 
Maybe you want to bring in a dog software that builds communities around dogs in neighborhoods where there might not be communities already existing, right? So that kind of is how you build a product around your passion and your skill to be able to go ahead and make progress towards it. And as you build the product, it will become increasingly clear for you as to what is it that you really want to build over an extended period of time. And by extended period of time, I mean 30, 40, 50 years from now. And that's one more thing that I want to kind of uh, kind of put it as a footnote for us to remember is that don't think about your business for the next three months. Think about your business for the next 30 years because that's how business, real businesses are built on a strong foundation of saying, how would this survive 30 years from now? What is the value of this 30 years from now? And I'm not saying we need to be future tellers for this, but we can have ideas around, okay, this is a relevant product in time as well. It's not just something that's a quick buck thing because quick buck things don't really build businesses. They don't really build companies. They they will create some revenue for you and will give the money for your next travel, but it, it's going to turn down. Like it's going to fade. It's going to lose momentum in time. So that awareness should be there as well. So bring in your passion, bring in your skills and mix it together with something that's useful for the world. And that's how you create progress. Awesome. Awesome. I love the breakdown of just giving people insight into the sort of step-by-step where they start. I'm curious if you if you think that that people at different stages in their life prioritize lifestyle over the style of business. Like usually what I see is that is that people in their younger years will prioritize just like grinding, you know, absolutely grinding to try and make a buck and build a business and build this empire. And then something usually happens after they have kids or, you know, their kids get old enough that they start to feel the parents start to feel like they are missing out on parts of their child's life. And then they start to prioritize lifestyle over some of those other parts. So have you seen that as well? Like, how how does that fit in the equation from what you've seen? What I've seen is it depends on the personality of the person and the dialogue that they're willing to hear. So one of the big things that influences our internal world is our external world, like I talked about previously, right? Now, you could use that. It could happen negatively for you where you might compare and might go, okay, if that person's doing this, I should be doing that. Or it can happen in a positive way where you can take only the influence that is actually useful to you. So, for example, if there is somebody who is in a setup where everybody is grinding, you will tend to grind. If you are in a setup where everybody is more mature and smart about what things are going, they would tend to be more mature and smart about things that they are doing, right? So it's it's a very much a reflection of what is it that you're intaking from the world to be able to process through and go, okay, what is my output going to be to the world? The important part being you process it. Else what will happen is you will change sporadically, which means today you're high activity and tomorrow you're not. And you wonder why you don't make progress because you don't stick to either high activity or low activity. And when you don't stick to either of those things, what happens is your body, your mind doesn't really know what brings out the best version of you. It's always about what brings best version of you. When we are younger, of course, because we are unaware and we are still learning and so forth, it tends to be that grinding seems to be the only answer. But at the same point in time, I've met really successful people who don't grind it out and they're still very young and are still able to build really good, profitable companies. They do. What does happen is as you build family around you or as you build deep friendships around you is that you definitely start to go, well, do I really want to go and spend $5,000 at a club versus I want to spend $5,000 and travel to a different city and take a nice quiet vacation. And that's the difference that really happens in how you really spend your money because you tend to go, hey, I actually have more fun hanging out on a beach house versus hanging out in the club. And, and you tend to take away all those superficial things that make you look good and take in more of things. And this is just a sense of maturity and it is not biased to age. Uh, because it really comes from where you are in the stage of life more than the age of life. It's more of the stage of life where you go, well, you know what? What do I really find joy in? Do I really find joy in hitting a club and not knowing what I'm doing next day? Or do I find joy more in really waking up early in the morning, go for a jog with my dog? Uh, it is more about the stage of life that you're at. And, and that really defines, I think, because I've seen the 40, 50 years old who rather go to the club mm-hmm. as well. And that's okay because that's the choice of life that they make. It's it's not a um, it's it's more a what stage you are at and what are you prioritizing in life. What defines what you will be ending up doing? Mm-hmm. No, I like that. I like that. And and just like one of the things that I wanted to touch on was 
the difference between passion and purpose. You know, I think these get talked about a lot. Um, and you know, people are usually sold on, on going and pursuing passions and either they're completely overwhelmed because they feel like they have too many passions or they they're stuck cause they're not too sure what their passions are. Um, uh, but, but how do you dif- differentiate the, the sort of, uh, separation between passions and purpose? And then, and then secondly, how do they interplay? What's the connection between the two and, and why is that important? So passion and purpose are two. And, and people define it differently, but this is how I define it, right? Passion is something that you are excited about over an extended period of time. And that's where, uh, when you have too many passions or something, somebody who wonders, oh, I have so many passions. How do I know my passion? Well, you have, everybody has many passions. First of all, that's the absolute truth. We are excited about many things in life and we are excited about doing many things in life. And that's just who we are as human beings. We are not one thing. We are many things. And that's fine. What you're looking for or what you're seeking to do is which one of them stand out the most and can be created into a business or can be created into something that's useful for the world. So useful in context of being able to generate revenue out of it. You could get a job as well aligned to your passion. But that's that's really the difference between picking a passion versus having multiple passions. You will have multiple passions and that's absolutely okay. You don't have to worry about it if you wonder, oh, I have so many passions, how do I pick? I'll simply pick the one that you're most excited about that seems to have stayed with you for a really long period of time because that's the passion that will stick around for even longer period of time and you will tend to do good quality work around that which will give you greater success in life. So that's the multi-passion type of thing. And the difference between passion and purpose is passion is something that you live on a daily basis. Purpose is something that is so further out that you live with the intent of it on a daily basis. So here's what I mean. Passion, and this is with an example, my passion is writing. So I like writing. So I would want to write as much as I can. My purpose is to be able to love and serve the world, right? Can I love and serve the world on a daily basis through writing? That would be my integration of passion and purpose, okay? So let's see if there was any other examples. For example, if your purpose was to, say, save the ocean, let's say your skill or your passion is to be able to build technology. You might say, I want to save the ocean, which means I have to reduce plastic in the world. So as a technologist, can every day I work into an ecosystem or a project that will allow me to save the oceans eventually? The purpose that you have for life is usually something that is really, really far out and is seemingly impossible. And the reason for that is because purpose is like a guiding light. It's like the horizon. You most likely in your lifetime might not meet your purpose. And that's okay. That's okay. What purpose's job is to give us a direction so we can constantly move towards something that is positive for the world and positive and fueling for us as human beings, for our hearts, right? So that's the kind of the differential between passion and purpose. Purpose is something far out. Passion is what you is the medium or is the way you will actually continue to deliver to your purpose, which is on a long-term basis. But the secret to re- really living on purpose is to live your purpose on a daily basis, which means you live with the intent. You live and operate from a place of saying, I am meeting my purpose on a daily basis. Is that making sense, Connor? Yeah, I know. Absolutely. And you know, the, I think the one thing that um, that I've seen in my in my own experience is that sometimes our our passion will show up or sort of like <laughs> morph, you know, in, into something a little bit different. Like uh, my my own personal example is I was a classical singer in the past, and while I don't sing today, you know, I do a lot of public speaking, I do a lot of connecting with people one on one, a lot of a lot of coaching, and and so the the tools and the skills that I learned. Uh, in in that in that space are still applicable, but they're so fundamentally you know a little bit different, right? It's about connection and conversation and eliciting you know helping people drop into feeling something, experiencing something, helping them understand and self reference uh, in in a deep deeper way and become more aware of themselves in a deeper way, just using a different medium. But the intention of my passion is actually still the exact same. The reason why I got into singing is why is 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 the same reason as what I do right now. So it's it's interesting how someone can have a passion that sort of morphs and and progresses their purpose. Have you seen that as well, where where people's purpose sort of starts to unfold, but their passion sort of stays the same? Absolutely. For that matter, 
your passion, if you picked it right, like you did, Connor, it'll probably stay the same through your life because a well-identified passion sticks around. You tend to do it again and again, even if you take a walk a little bit and try to do something else, you come back to that passion eventually. For example, for me, like, like yours was classical singing. For me, it was writing. As a kid, I used to write poetry. I used to write short stories and so forth. But in the middle, I took a walk. I learned marketing. I learned technology. I learned other things. And then I bridged it all together again. Again, now, as I write books, as I write all my white papers and documents and so forth that allows entrepreneurs to live a bigger, better, better life, it all happened because one, I, I just rediscovered the same passion. So my passion hasn't changed. All it has done is morphed into different formats for it to be able to show up in the world and be able to contribute to something that's larger and further beyond, which is my purpose. So, so absolutely, what you said is absolutely accurate, where you might start with a passion, you might forget about it for a little bit, or you might morph it into something that is completely different. But at the same point in time, it's kind of same. Is is like you wanted to express as a as a as a singer, and you wanted to present as a singer. You wanted to show up and have conversations through your music. Now you're having it through your podcast. Now you're doing it through your speaking. You're using the same passion of communication of expression to be able to utilize it in different areas of your life. Still meeting uh, and meeting maybe a different purpose or maybe the same purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's so true. It's so true. Well. Um, you know, we, we've been talking about passion and, and purpose, and, and I do want to get to, you know, things like mental health for, for entrepreneurs. But one of the things that when, when I was doing a little bit of uh, online stalking, um, as we'll call it, uh, about you and, and your background and, and some of the things that, that I learned about you, um, I, I came across the, the book that's coming out in, in December, Live Big. And one of the things that really stood out for, for me and especially my analytical brain was you, you talk about something called the matrix of practicality. And for whatever reason, I was like, yes, tell, tell me more about the matrix of practicality. Um, so maybe I'll just give you the, give the space here to, to kind of address that because I would love to learn more about that. So we would see, like, again, the dialogue of passion and purpose is so strong and so true to our hearts and our emotions that we tend to get lost in the idea of just passion and purpose. And we just keep chasing the idea of saying, all right, so I got to be passionate and I got to be purposeful. And then as soon as we start to do something, we kind of get like, okay, now I'm passionate and I'm purposeful, but I'm not really going anywhere or I'm not getting anywhere. And that's because we missed the big element of practicality is you can't build a business on a passion or a purpose if you don't understand how a business comes together. And that's what I mean by matrix of practicality is to actually have an understanding or start to build an understanding towards saying business is business. It still needs to be created in context of business. I'm not saying all businesses are the same. I'm not saying if you don't know exactly how it will unfold as a business, you need to stop. No, the intent and what I'm trying to say here is you need to understand the practical side of business as you create the passionate, the purposeful business that you're creating, right? So we talked a little bit about finding your passion and finding that one passion, integrating it with your skills to align yourself with your purpose. Practicality talks about how to bring a whole business together. And there are three fundamental elements that I believe that we tend to think about or we should think about a lot more as creating a a powerful business around the passion that we have and the purpose that we have. And the three elements are product, process, and people, right? And we we have heard about these words a lot, right? But what does it really mean? Product really means that how do you take your passion and translate it into a way that it it helps people so that they can actually have a quality result in alignment with the purpose that you have, right? So it's a, it's the vehicle that you find that takes your passion and converts it into a practical vehicle that somebody can use that also aligns with your purpose, right? So that's kind of what a product means. And your product, like your purpose, must always evolve. And like whatever you're passionate about and your skills are are developing must always evolve. I've met so many people who have the same product five years later. And I'm like, why wouldn't you evolve it? The world is evolving. Mm -hmm. You must evolve your product. You can't, you're not the same person five years ago. Why is your product the same? You just change the marketing and you don't evolve the product. And that makes no sense to me. And so the first thing is to firstly understand Products are not hard to hard to create if you understand that they are merely vehicles that take you from your passion or the understanding of your passion and usefulness of your passion and your skills 
to align with the purpose that you have on a long-term basis and be able to be that vehicle for your clients so they can meet that purpose alongside you. For example, if you wanted to save the ocean, build a technology that helps save the oceans and make it useful for the world so they can actually use that technology and just doesn't they and it just doesn't sit in a shelf at their at your office, right? So that's product. Second is people. This is one of the most underrated conversations. It's so fascinating that only corporations talk about it. And corporations talk about it a lot, but small and medium-sized entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs just don't seem to understand that if you are building a real business, if you are building a company, it's not about you. It's about the people that you hire. If you want to create a successful enterprise, it has not, It has things to do with you, but it has equal amount of value to be done with people that you actually work with. If you are working 20-hour days, well, the reason probably is because you haven't really invested in building a team around you to be able to create that phenomenal organization that can actually fuel and run by itself and really take your product to mass market. Right, so people is an often ignored conversation, and pe- we come up with dialogues around it. Like I've said, seen entrepreneurs come up with terrible dialogues around people. It's like, oh, I don't want to have a team because you know I had the team in my corporate job, and so I hate having team or I hate people. Nobody hates people. Nobody hates a team. What you tend to do is you tend to again hire for skills. You go, okay, I need somebody to edit my stuff, so let me just hire the cheapest talent I can find for editing. Of course, you hate your team. You found the cheapest talent to edit your stuff. It's, that's not how you hire a team. You hire a team in context of your values and their values. You create a home team, as I call it. You create a set of people that you would hang out with, even if they were not doing the job that they're doing or they were not hired by you. These are people that you align with. And you go, hey, I like your values. I like your purpose. I like what you do. I like the quality that you deliver because that's the kind of people that you would hang out with. And that's the second element is to understand people in a, in a company, especially small, medium-sized entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs who are just starting out. You got to understand the value of people. And lastly is processes. Again, one of those things that entrepreneurs, especially the new ones, tend to hate. They tend to go, oh, I don't like processes and processes are boring and I don't want to build processes. Well, let me tell you one little secret about process, right? You don't hate any process. Like you don't hate how you set up your lunch or how you set up or brush your teeth, or how you take a shower, or how you like to take a bath. These are all processes in your life. You don't hate them. You appreciate them. You love the way you are treated in a particular way every day, or you love the way your lunch is set up. You love the way your bath is set up, or whatever that is, the process that you absolutely actually love because it shows up exactly the way you like it, right? So we love processes. We don't like the processes somebody else sets for us. But here's the good thing about being an entrepreneur. Nobody has to set up a process for you. You set up the process for you. Process is simply a set of activities delivered in a particular way that creates a desired result that you want in your company, in your business, in your passion, in your purpose, right? And if that's the way, you just define that way and you stick with it. And you evolve it as your company evolves, but you start by saying, this is how it's done. And you get people to do it, people that you hire on your team or get yourself to do it. The reason why entrepreneurs work really long hours is because they don't have a process. They don't have a way of doing things. So they end up doing things, doing things as if they're starting from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I like the analogy of, you know, the, the brushing the teeth or taking a shower and just equating those processes to um, just just equating them to normal everyday things. Because I think as entrepreneurs, you're right. We do. I, I know for myself, when I started started off, it was like there was this badge of honor that I would wear. I ended up labeling it the busy badge. But the busy badge was like, if I did everything in my business, then there was somehow I was more credible because of that. And in in the long run, it wasn't viable, right? But being able to put those processes in place and understand that that they have such a unique and and supportive function, I think is is a great, uh, really really great way of putting things. I also really want you know wanted to circle back around in the people aspect of things because one of the things that that I've heard you talk about quite a bit and and that I've seen you write about is is entrepreneurs and and mental health. And, you know, it's it's an interesting time that we, that we live in in North America where professionals, entrepreneurs, executives, you know, there's a lot of people that are struggling with with mental health issues. And, uh, you know, I read a stat the other day, something like 40 to 42 percent 
of entrepreneurs actually struggle with some form of a mental health issue, whether it's you know severe anxiety or depression or um, or, or things like ADHD, um, you know, narcolepsy, all, all, all kinds of stuff. But I, I'm just curious to get your take on, you know, is that indicative of the industry that we're in? Is it because people are are prioritizing work over their own well being? Like, how have you seen some of these things show up in in even in the uh, organization that you ran? So. What what I found is again mental health and and just issues around depression, anxiety, and 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 the way relationships of entrepreneurs fall apart is because of the dialogue, which is always a competitive dialogue and always not feeling that they're doing anything that's good enough. Because what happens is because our our how we measure ourselves in today's times and it it leans on even heavier on an entrepreneur. Because there is no performance review that will tell you you're doing great. It's you reviewing yourself on a daily basis and on often in comparison to somebody else. And because of that, the, the problem that is already there where you're taking a big hit, like think about it like this. As an entrepreneur, you are already so brave. You're putting yourself out there. You're putting your product out there for everybody to take a, take a jab at it, right? So you, you're already putting yourself into the public eye in the greatest way somebody can. This is your heart and your soul and your work. And you're trying everything to be able to create that result for your client. And then the client might say, you know what? It's shit, right? And and that's like the biggest jab that a person can get because it's everything of yours that you put in there. And so what had happened now is because of the constant comparison and because of the constant dialogue around saying, hey, this is not good enough. This is not good enough. This is not good enough. Or somebody else is doing better. Somebody else is doing better. Now, comparison theory or comparison that we have we have had, we've always had for centuries. There's not, it's not that it's a new term or a new thing that has started to happen, but it wasn't evident. It wasn't in your face every moment of the day that you will open your computer because there were no computers and there was no internet and there was no Facebook and there was no Instagram, right? But now what happens is because it's evident and it's in our face at all times, What's happening is we are starting to listen to this dialogue again and again and again that you are not good enough. You are not doing enough, right? But who defines that? Why? Where is this dialogue coming from? Who says you're not doing good enough? The thing is, you are telling yourself right now as an entrepreneur that you're not doing good enough, looking at somebody else's reality. But here's the truth of it all. You're looking at somebody's five minutes and defining their 24 hours, Right? You know how those uh, we have entrepreneurs who put up videos about, hey, this is my daily life and you got to look at it, right? 30 seconds, 50 seconds, five minutes of just their life. And it looks like, oh, they're working so hard. They're doing so well. They're, they've got all these contracts and this and that and this and that. Here's the truth. It's five minutes of their life. They post a video once a week. Even if they do it once a day, it's out of 24 hours of their life. They're putting the five best minutes for you to see. If you put up your five best, best minutes, you will always be confident. You'll always know everything's good and you'll always project the best version of your business. But we compare our 24 hours to somebody else's five-minute life. So of course we are anxious. Of course we are concerned. Of course we are depressed. Of course we are constantly being told that we are not doing enough and not being good enough, right? And that dialogue starts at childhood already. And now it gets magnified like crazy, especially for an entrepreneur, because there is no other measure for them to really know if they are doing enough, if they are good enough, and if they feel good enough. So it, the only way for us to heal at this point is to start to check in, check in really with ourselves as to what is the truth and what is the relative truth. By, by the truth or the absolute truth and relative truth, it simply means relative truth is what's the truth in context of somebody else and absolute truth is what is actually the truth. What's the fact, right? The fact, the only fact that you know for sure for yourself is the thing that you know for yourself for sure, right? So if you are doing enough because it's the best you can do, then you are doing good enough. Nobody else can define that for you. It's not in comparison or relativity to somebody else. It's only in comparison to yourself. So as an entrepreneur, I would love for us to take a moment here and really check in and really think about, like really take a deep dive, take out a piece of paper, uh, take out a journal or do it in your free time, do it on your iPhone, just switch off all the other things that you have and write down what was your measure of success when you started. Write down five years, 10 years ago, one year ago, whenever you started, what was your measure of success? 
how far you've come from that measure of success and how much further you have to go. Not in comparison with somebody else, but in comparison with yourself. If you are somebody who is actually a seasoned entrepreneur and feels anxiety, here's my invitation for you. A seasoned entrepreneur is anybody who's done more than five years in business, right? So if you've been in business more than five years ago, uh, more than five years, here's my invitation. Write down where you wanted to go five years ago. Most likely, you've surpassed that target a couple of years ago, or you're right around that target right now. There is no reason for you to not feel good enough. When you wrote that target, you thought it will take you 10 years, maybe 20 years, maybe a lifetime to get there. You got it in five. There is a tremendous amount of gratitude and gratefulness that will dawn upon you, and you will be able to enjoy the moment as of, as of now, in this moment. And that would be my invitation to entrepreneurs today, is to think about things relative to you. Stop comparing with somebody else's reality. You have your own journey. Enjoy that journey. Enjoy that process because that will put you out of that misery and that anxiety and that depression and put you in a place of bliss. And honestly, that's the greatest service you can do to yourself and to your business. Not only you will find more joy and happiness, you will actually grow your company more too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what you're saying is so valuable because you know, so many people... So many people, we do live in in the culture of comparison right now. You know, I think um, social media has done some wonderful things. And, uh, you know, we can open up Facebook or Instagram. And as entrepreneurs, you know, there's so many entrepreneurs that are following the entrepreneurs that they think that they want to be in some way, shape or form. And and the, the, the gap, it's almost like they see the gap constantly, you know, the gap between where they are and where the people that they pedestal and idolize are. And that can just be crippling in so many ways. I think the other thing that I wanted to, to ask, and maybe because we're, you know, almost, almost done here for, for today, one of the things that I wanted to talk about was how do we elicit these conversations? How do we create space for these conversations? with our teams, with our colleagues, with our boss, with our, you know, with our company, with, with, uh, with, the, with the organization that we run? Uh, how do we start to bring these conversations in in a healthy and, and open way? So firstly, you got to understand that people are inherently good. People inherently care, most of us. And if they don't, it's usually because they are suffering themselves. And I say this to, to start this dialogue is because often we are resistant to have this dialogue because we feel somebody else will take a stab at us. And we often feel that, well, somebody might take advantage of us or somebody might do something that is not kind to us. So firstly, that's why I want to start this conversation with understanding that people are inherently good and they do bad things because of their own bad experiences and because they are suffering themselves and they have no other way to really show up in the world, but to, but to be able to have somebody else suffer. It's like the, 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 the layers of, of, of trauma that all of us have gone through in our different stages of life, in our families and our friends, as you age more, you get, go through more and more of this stuff and, and you, and you become hardened by the world and you forget that inherently we all want to do good, right? So to have a conversation if you want to go ahead and have a conversation with your team, I, and I'll, I'll be honest, I did it this way. And I have advised my, my clients to do it this way. And it seemed to work every single time is to just have the conversation and to start from a place of trust and to start from a place of saying, hey, I know that if they're working for my company, there is some value attached to it. Like there is some drive that they have to show up every day at work and say, I'm going to do the best I can, right? Which means inherently, they want to do good for me. They want to be able to add value to me. And say is your, so is your employer. Inherently, they want to do good to you. They want to, they want to be able to have you in the company. If you're a performer, they want you to stay with the company. They don't want you to leave. So everybody's willing to listen, in my opinion. If you're willing to talk, you want to have this conversation more kindly where you want to set up a scene because you don't want to hit them with a brick. Right. So you want to set it up in different ways. For example, a way to set it up is to send this podcast to your team members and say, Hey, I would love to have this follow up conversation with you. And that's absolutely okay. Because how is it that we're going to bring change if we don't start taking steps towards it? Now, in the process, sometimes you'll find there will be people who will leave. There'll be people who will be like, You know what? I'm not down for this conversation. I don't want this in my life. And they will step away. You know what's going to happen? Your company is going to grow you're going to be happier when these people step away, even if they feel like the most important people. I've seen it enough times where people we feel are inherent and important to the team because of their skill set. We realize in time 
that people are only valuable to the team when they're value aligned, when they are hoping to create the same result that you are trying to create for your clients. And skills are very handy and useful, yes, but they don't make or break the company. What makes or break the company is people. And people are only valuable when they see that value with you, they see that value with what you're trying to create, and they align with you more powerfully than a bunch of skill sets or a paycheck. So my invitation would be is to start the conversation by starting the conversation. You can send this audio to, to, to your team members. You can share this podcast and hopefully they will ha- be able to have this conversation with you right then and there. Or you can get the book that I, that, that I wrote. And that also is a good conversation starter for you to be able to live a bigger life and be able to have these dialogues more openly. And, or lastly, host, host of one-on-one meetings. And that's a good way to get started and also get a pulse check of your team per se is, have these meetings and have a conversation about, hey, what do you feel about X, Y, and Z? What do you feel about how we show up as a team? And what do you think we can do better as a team? And hopefully what will happen, because what happens with an anxious entrepreneur is it's very much reflected on their team because your team is an anxious team as well, most likely, if you're an anxious entrepreneur or they don't necessarily love their jobs at that point because they are like, oh, okay, this is this guy is kind of crazy. Or this gal is kind of crazy. So, so they would tend to reflect that back on you mm-hmm. and people do reflect back, right? So, so if that's the scenario, it's anyways easy to have a conversation in that context because you'll be able to go, okay, let's have a one-on-one first and talk to the people that you know for sure are value aligned with you first. So you kind of get a validation and seek out those ideas from your team members, which is one thing that we, we tend to forget as entrepreneurs. People's, people are our greatest assets and people matter most in the company than anything else. A good set of people can fix a very broken product. They can fix a very broken process. They can fix a very broken company, a good set of people. So if there is that good set of people, good hearted, good kind, valuable, the people who see value in what you do, go ahead, talk to them. It's not, it's not scary. We make it scary. We make up that story so much more than there is truth to it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. When when I was at Apple, we actually, uh, all of the leadership team had their own connection teams. And so we would have one-on-one check-ins and connects. And you know that was time to kind of dig into where people were at. And it wasn't just about metrics or results or you know any, any, of, those, any of those types of things. It was actually about connecting with them on the level of how are you doing? Like, how are you doing outside of work? How are you feeling inside of work? You know, do you feel run down? Do you have too much on your plate? And and actually being able to have those conversations in a very real, open and honest way and, and being able to bring that into entrepreneurship has been hugely, hugely powerful. So listen, man, thank you so, so much for your contribution today. That really, really great conversation, really great insight into a lot of these areas. Um, for people that want to check out your your books, you talked a lot about writing. Uh, your book, Live Big. Do you want to just give us a quick little snippet and insight into what that's all about and when it comes out? Absolutely. So thank you, first of all, for inviting me again, Connor. It's always fun to talk to you. Secondly, the book, I wrote Live Big because I I lived that life. I lived a life of anxiety, fear, um, and and just not feeling good enough and not being able to really live and grow my business at the same point and live a full life. So I was growing companies and I had tremendous success with all the companies that I worked with, but at the same point of time, I found myself lost at a time where I was like, I, I can make a great living. I can see that I'm smart. I know how to build companies, but how do I make a life? And that conversation got me started to think about how, first how to fix my own life, which I did. And then as I went around, I found a lot of other entrepreneurs in the same spot where they had great living, but they didn't have a great life. And so I said, hey, what are some of those things? And I started testing these ideas with them. And, I, and we found that as the entrepreneurs lived big in the sense of they lived a life, they actually grew their companies more than they had ever thought of they could grow with strategies. So what we found is that if we can shift the perspective or shift the dimension that an entrepreneur looks at their business and their life, they tend to grow their businesses even more than what they had previously imagined. They seem to have bigger visions of their life and at the same point of time, they're able to spend time with their family, their friends. They get to do things that they experience, experiences they want to get or life events they want to create for themselves. They tend to do all of that. And that really is what Live Big is all about. Live Big is an integration of all of those ideas and perspective shifts that you will have as you go through the book in different stages of your businesses. So it's not written for new entrepreneurs or sen- senior entrepreneurs or, or seasoned entrepreneurs. It's for all of us. 
because what we can use is a different perspective in the times of challenge or in the times of when we have visionary ideas and we don't know how to make them a reality. Mm-hmm. Live Big intends to give you both. Live Big intends to give you the perspective that you need at the time with strategies and research, of course, so you can create a big life for yourself. And alongside with it, if you get the book right now, you also get a free 21-day reset, as I, as we call it, where we, where we show you exactly how to use some of these tools to create a life greater than what you have previously imagined for yourself while growing your companies, while growing all the other areas of life, health, well, well-being, relationships, friendships, and so forth. So it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good dialogue that you would like to have by your desk side at all times. So that's at least our intention is. Uh, because it will be so powerful and so intentional for you. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, my friend. And uh, definitely check that out. We're going to have the link in the show notes uh, to Ajit's website, to Live Big, to the whole thing. So you can find all that information in the show notes. And uh, don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Subscribe on iTunes uh, or Spotify or Google Play or wherever else you might be. And uh, and as was recommended, you know, man it forward, share this podcast with somebody, uh, share this podcast with somebody in your work environment and uh, start the dialogue around mental health, around connection, around community uh, in your workplace, regardless of where you work. So until next time, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. 